Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome to Punching Out. Uh, we're here with Ariel and I'm Chris. And today we're going to be talking about the the notion of the entry level job. Is even and the question like we were kind of talking about when we were you know sort of making this episode is even saying entry level job in itself like sort of problematic in a way. Um, are you automatically just just by that own language like playing on the field of you know business owners and people who kind of treat retail and service sector workers um, badly with low wages? Uh, pretty horrible scheduling, and it just kind of felt like, at least in my head, when you call something entry level, you're automatically being uh, dismissive. Um, right. So that's something like right off the bat, I think, kind of like stuck out once you got to think about it. But also how really most of us, really across class lines, I think, have some experience uh, in that world. It's it's different, obviously, depending on you know sometimes if you're wealthier or something, maybe you just worked for like, you know you make a caddy at a golf club or something yeah. like that, like something very kind of low pressure or like what I did, my one entry level job was working at a movie theater. Um, not that that was like super difficult and I pretty easy and like, you know, had some fun times with friends, honestly, but it was something where like the whole place was staffed basically with just a rotating cast of teenage workers. Yeah. And it was okay. Like when you're that age, but then you, you grow older and you kind of, sort of like get stuck in this rut and you start to like not care about the job because when your coworkers are constantly changing um it's kind of hard to feel like this is like a profession it's something you should take seriously yeah. it's something or it gives you identity and worth and it's and it's also not it's not paid in such a way uh that you would expect this to be the job that you do for right. you know into your adulthood right yeah. it's like it's the notion of the entry entry level job is i think dangerous in some cases because it sort of preps you for this idea that you're supposed to be going somewhere else mm -hmm. So whatever you are getting, whatever pittance you're getting paid or whatever, like lack of benefits you have to suffer while having these jobs, like it's just, it's, it's almost like a glorified internship, right? It's just something, it's, it's, it's an opportunity to get job experience and move on later on. But this of course assumes that there is room in the economy for anybody who wants one to get a job that can give you a step out of these sort of kind of terrible, <laughs> like yeah. yeah, terrible entry level jobs. The thing I noticed is like a lot of the, or now that I think about it, like a lot of the conversations that would happen, especially like if you like talk to managers who are sort of youngish and close, we're closer to my age. Um, you still uh, kind of talk about like, oh, like what are you doing next? Like you in school, like mm -hmm. you still have these conversations where everybody is just assuming that everybody else is moving on to something. Um, so like for example, like at the movie theater, there was ushers, which is what I was doing, which. You know, maybe on a busy weekend, it was some security detail involved in that. You know, maybe muscle people around. Making people sure were... nobody brought any of their own M&Ms. Yeah, exactly. You that, were one of those good that shopper really types. Ticked, that ticked me off. <laughs> you know, don't, don't bring M&Ms into Black Panther this weekend, all right? It causes problems. Um, but so I was also like basically like cleaning theaters. But then there's like the cashiers, right? You go to the movies and like those, and I think anyone would notice like those are all kids. Those are all younger people. And then you have the managers with suit and ties. And you don't really... There, there wasn't really a difference, at least in my experience, as far as, like, the approach. Um, like, I think among, like, the higher-ups, like, GM, assistant GM, like, you know, this was clearly their career. Yeah. Um, and they were, like, making decent money. They had a house, and they were, along with somebody else, able to take care of kids. But then you had the, maybe a step below that, the managers who were, even if they, if they were sticking around, they, you know, they need another job. They had to be maybe a, a retail manager at another store mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. a, another maybe doing tables somewhere, you know? I mean... So it was uh, just very precarious, and you really think like, okay, this company makes billions of dollars, and you're just admitting that you're or treating your workers like they're just they shouldn't take it seriously. And it was this weird, at least for me. Um, again, I, I liked my experience relatively. Uh, it was relatively fun compared to like what some of my peers had to deal with. Yeah. But it, it helped at least radicalize me in like terms of like the immediate contradictions, like. They kind of would lay down these tough rules on you when someone from corporate comes in, hmm. but then also uh, treat you like uh, you should not be around there very long at all. Like you are right. just completely disposable yeah. at the nearest opportunity. Yeah, there's a there's a weird relationship between like how objectively meaningless this work uh, is mm -hmm. and 
uh, how how much importance on doing a good job is sort of imposed on you by your management. Like I worked in a bunch of restaurants and like you literally feel like the world was going to end if you didn't get like a basket of chips to a table. <laughs> and and I, I never really got over how absurd that was. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, so like I'm doing this like objectively menial job, uh, but that like then getting yelled at, um, if it, if it doesn't go off perfectly, you know, I'm not, I'm not like catering the queen's wedding. Um, I always notice like how ups, like people get especially angry when people in those positions, whether I'm on the customer side or whether I was, you know, working at this, at the movie theater, how especially angry people get, um, when people screw up in that job. Mm -hmm. So there's, and that's another example of not only these weird double expectations from, you know, the corporate boss end, um, but also from some of the customers themselves. And it kind of creates like a further degradation. But again, it's, it's easier to get over if you're entering into that job from a perspective of, you know, like, oh, this is just temporary. Like for me, I just, I wanted money that would just keep piling up so that I can like pay a thousand dollars for my uh, great aunt's car. You know, like it wasn't something that was life or And also, when I was in college, I'd come back home. It would just kind of supplement my yeah. loans that I would get, and also my work study job. Did um, you ever? Did you ever work alongside um, like lifers at at the at the front end level? Uh, front end level? Yeah. Um, no, honestly, no. Um, it was mostly, or if maybe for a time, but like you didn't know it, and then sure. after a couple of years, it, they just became managers. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And there was always this notion uh, during that time, like, oh yeah, like I'm in school for this thing. All of a sudden, like. Time goes by and it's, you know, and again, some of that's just personal because some of them like could afford school and like, sure. um, so it wasn't always that, but, you know, I've had friends in that field, some friends I still hang out with all the time yeah. who were never able to uh, get into school, like just maintain like payments for it. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not like the parental support that a lot of other uh, basically kids had that worked there um, like myself and, you know, able to co-sign these big loans. Yeah. So you did see differences there and you can kind of see like kind of the writing on the wall with like who was, you know, going to stick around for a while or who was going to be gone in a couple of years. And, and at least for me, like it didn't really, uh, affect like the way anyone worked. Um, I mean, it affected the way people worked in that everybody, like, like nobody like cared that much, you know, like, like besides like some of the top people, but it, you would think that people who would be there for at least perceived to be a lifetime, or not a lifetime, but, you know, for years and years, um, would maybe be different. But at least from my experience, um, it was almost like this negative solidarity. Yeah. You know, it's like, this is all kind of bad for all of us. Uh, I experienced some of that, like, when I was in media, too, like, for at one or two of the stations I was at, especially. It's like, oh, this is bad for all of us. And, like, this, we're just, we're all just going to adjust to the bad, like, the badness together. Right. Instead of, like, hey, like, this is important to us. Let's be the best we can be because this, this matters and this, you know, makes us, like, wealthier this makes our lives better this is an example of of an actual entry-level job which you engaged in mm-hmm. as an entry-level job yeah. right and i think i think the like a movie theater is kind of a rarefied uh occupation because it's hard to even to, is it service is it yeah i mean it's it, it's service side you're giving people food it's definitely retail um it's definitely retail but it's there's something about it that is it, like no you just probably you just can't make a living doing that at no. all uh and Besides and, a few managers, right? Yeah, and because and the, t- the turnover seems like it's insanely yeah. high. Um, that's well. The thing is, and that's the thing I realize is an obstacle, um, especially as far as like organizing, right? right. Um, like we'll get into like later in the episode about how huge of the like in the workforce these like you know quote unquote entry level jobs are, and like they're like the majority of our economic functions uh, revolve around like retail and service, and, and by service, um, like just from the research that we did. Um, service entails a lot of other jobs that you wouldn't think like it entails like financial services. I, yeah. we tried to like kind of yep. weed through those and kind of put it down to like more like food service, things like that. Um, but one thing like we've done, uh, like fight for 15 organizing work. And w- what you basically do is a couple of you go into like a, one of these service sector places, restaurants, chain restaurants, uh, fast food places. And you just talk to these workers, like when they're cleaning a table or they're outside on break or something. And you say like, hey, like we're fighting for fifteen dollars in the union, you know, this kind of that kind of thing. And what you see is like when I'll, when you encounter a worker who's just there like during their college years, or is 
basically just planning on going somewhere else because, you know, usually no one sticks around these places more than like a year and a half. Yeah. Treating a job like an entry-level job. Yeah, they yeah. treat it like that. And so all of a sudden, like, they don't really, you know, maybe they agree with what you're saying, but it, they're not going to take the time and energy to be organized around something that where everybody's constantly moving in and out. Yeah. So this is uh, this is kind of the benefit of the proliferation. Well, it's not it's not that everybody's moving in and out; it's that they're moving in and out. Right, but most of the people are like most yeah, of the yeah. workforce, and it leaves like this kind of core of people who are just kind of just adjusting to what mm -hmm. they have. And also, you you kind of get this. And one thing I experienced in the movie theater after a few years was you kind of get this like comfort level with it, where it's like, okay, all of a sudden, like I don't have to work Christmas anymore. You know, mm -hmm. like it's, you're still working like you know night times and stuff like that because it's a movie theater. Right. But all of a sudden, like they would give someone younger than me that those kind of shifts. Mm -hmm. So you're like, okay, like I'm not gonna go and like try and build up seniority somewhere else. Like right. this is. I'm just going to be here until like, I don't know, something happens, yeah, you know? Yeah. And that, that's kind of what you'd notice. Like I, like I have several friends too, who also work in the restaurant industry and they've just, just from just sticking it out, you know, they've made money at times just that kind of rivals what I've made in media, you know, just from tips and stuff. Right. And so, I mean, again, like this, that might be the ceiling for what you can get. <laughs> um, a well, lot that, of, that, that is right. Like, so, yeah. so like a certain amount of seniority, like maybe some, not not control over your schedule but like you sort of earn the right to not have your schedule screwed with mm -hmm. that drastically you're respected on you, a level yeah yeah i mean yeah if you're if you're if you're fortunate i guess um it's, but still like it, it, the the ter the terms of your employment t 20 years into a restaurant job um and there are some people that have worked at like you know diners mm -hmm. uh, mom and pop diners for 20 years i knew i've worked along some side of some of them uh the terms of your employment are exactly the same like you, it's still objectively as uh, precarious. Uh, you still get paid the same amount. You're still working for tips. You still have no actual control over your schedule outside of like whatever beneficence you get from your employer. Um, it's still the same entry level job. You just happen to stay there. Yeah, I wish I like I dug up a couple of these. I just every once in a while, like a story pops up of like a usually like a corporate chain place, but like. Uh, I think Pizza Hut and like maybe a couple other kinds of places like that, um, they would close and then there would like the news would like interview like a worker who was just there for like decades yeah. and was not told at all, yeah. like just showed up at the door and it's just, there's a sign on the door, oh. which is like completely insane. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, even despite before all that, they were still not making much money anyways, but it was right. usually supplementing somebody else, yeah. um, which in the past was a lot of what part-time work really was for mm -hmm. um, instead of. Uh, what it's kind of referred to as now yeah. but that to me like kind of always reminded me like wow like even like the most dedicated people uh in those industries the people that are genuinely sticking it out and like doing what corporate tells them to do um if they're just as expendable as the high schooler and that's it it's something that when you have so many of our largest companies they function like that are some of our largest employers in the country that and that's the core way of how they function yeah. um it's a disaster and and I think well, it's it's re it's replacing it's these entry level jobs are re are replacing um, the field of possible options mm -hmm. uh, that people used to have, right? So like you before you would take an entry level job and then move to something else that was more stable that possibly had a union um, without having to go to college without having to go to college, <laughs> That's right? A big one, right? So now that the tuition prices are so steep and uh, debt levels are so high and also like there's just a lack of non-retail or non-service jobs that are available uh even if you want this to be an entry-level job uh, it might not you might not have the capacity to get out of it so this becomes your career uh for a lot of people and that's that's problematic because there's there there's in the same level of worker organization there it's a much more precarious existence um you are essentially disposable um and you are and I think this is sort of the focus of this episode is that by having this job, you're, it's almost sort of like, because people's expectations of this job are something that a teenager does uh, in between school and college to do something else, because of those are the expectations, people are a lot less sensitive to the plight of someone for whom this is the primary source of income and will be for the rest of their working lives. Well, let me ask you, you show us, so when we were like comparing our entry level jobs, I had like basically one to show. I had yeah. like, you know, six years and I explained like, yeah, this is like my high school and college job, whatever. And then you showed me all years. And so what I would ask you is, 
did that change uh, your approach when you were working in all those restaurants, mostly restaurants, it looked like? Um, did you feel like you had a different kind of relationship to the your managers or the ownership of the place? Or did you always, did you also kind of have this idea, whether it was true or not at the time, that like you're just, there's something right after? Um, no, I, I, I can, I thought of myself as probably end up ending up as a lifer. Um, cause I, like I don't have a college education and I wasn't really planning on doing it. Although I made some sort of stabbing attempts at it uh, a couple of times, but the first, you stabbed to, somebody I did. Yeah. <laughs> but the fir- first I went to FCC for a couple of semesters and then I transferred to U of R and then I ran out of money. Um, but no, I mean, I, I live, I live cheaply, you know, I'm single, I don't have any kids. Um, so my plan was just to keep doing this, uh, which was lucrative enough to keep me housed and fed. Um, and then not really think about what comes next. Cause I didn't really have any options unless I was going to just go whole hog into, um, doing school and then getting a degree and then finding a job that way. But so what I wanted to do was be an academic librarian. Um, and nerd. Was, yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was discouraged from, uh, from doing this. Why don't you do skilled labor, like podcasting, <laughs> yeah, the hard what, stuff, this is the real, the real gritty stuff. This is where the real money is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I wanted to do that. Um, but looking at the job prospects and the amount of debt that I would have to accrue, like I'm, I'm not built in such a way to, as to be comfortable with that. Um, and honestly, like I don't really want to, I don't want to do anything that I'm passionate about uh, as a profession because that's the kind of person I am. That's like the, uh, it's like to me, like that was always the opposite. Yeah. Like, you no, know? I, I, I want to be, I want to not have to think about my job and I, I want it to leave me with enough time and energy to be able to do stuff I actually care about. Mm-hmm. So, so given that that's, that's what I'm looking for, like just working in some uh, restaurant job, which was enough, I guess, for somebody who lives like on yeah. pretty low means, like, uh, that was fine with me uh, up until, you know, I had an opportunity to work for the nonprofit law firm that I work for now. Um, and I can tell you now having like a, a quote unquote real job, um, I have no idea how I live that way. <laughs> I, I, yeah. It's I like, where did money come from? You know, like sometimes like when I was in college, I like still can't think, I remember one time I literally like $2 in my bank account, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like, yeah. because like the loan money just like wasn't coming in. Like my last paycheck from the movies from like that mm-hmm. past summer, was like just like a month late, like inexplicably. Right, and right. I was like, guys, like I need this. Yep. Like, like I was making no money. I had like really scattershot benefits. Um, and the work itself is in a lot of ways way harder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, this it is, is, that's the thing we don't even mention yet. It's hard. Like it's not an easy, it's harder than a lot of like the, white the, collar jobs. The, jo- the job that I do now is more, it's more abstract and more complicated that way. So mm-hmm. it's, it's intellectually taxing in a way that um, that my quote-unquote entry-level job wasn't. But uh, being a waiter is incredibly difficult, and it is a skilled task, regardless of how it usually gets categorized. Like you have to develop, you have to develop your memory. You have to have really good problem-solving skills. You have to you have to have a good sense of time. Um, you have to be quick. You have to like be agile. Um, you have to be personable. You have to manage your uh manage your emotions to the extent that like there's a complete disconnect between what's on your face or pretending and what's to be in personable your... i think that's the hard part that's what i mean right so yeah. like so there's a disconnect between what's on your face and what's in your head mm-hmm. uh and that that is a taxing thing to do that's a hard way that's a hard way to spend eight hours you're a servant essentially you are a servant yeah, yeah. um and there's you know there's tons of just tiny kind of m- like microaggressions you have to deal with and there's time like there's this sort of disrespect and like you have to you have this all constant feeling that you're serving your betters, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's not easy. Like that's not an easy job. Um, and it deserves way more pay and way more support than it gets. Uh, especially considering that at this point, people are raising families on these jobs, even though they are quote unquote entry level jobs. Yeah. I think part of the, like part of what was hard for me was especially as like college wore on. And I was like a few, like my first few months after I graduated, I still hadn't found a media job yet. And what's hard, and I, I imagine and I'm told is hard by people who were there much longer than me and became managers, is like just telling other people that's what you do. You know, there's like this yeah. this shame and like people are like, oh, like you in school? Like they always followed up. But like, oh, like you in school or anything? And like, at least for me, like that wasn't an issue because I could always say like, yeah, it's what I do in school and nobody right. would bat an eye. Right. Um, but it, that is something I 
that has to be like such a weight. I don't know, maybe a lot of people just don't care, and they're that's just that's a gift well, to me. It know? comes up. I mean, one, yeah. one of the one of the things that my colleagues in the restaurants like uh, that kind of bummed them out was like occasionally they would like somebody they went to high school with would come in and they have to wait mm-hmm. on them. Uh, and you know, just on on its face, there's nothing wrong with that. They're they're doing a job, and this is another person who doesn't yeah. have a job. Like who cares? But that's how people think. But right? yeah, but there is a huge pre- prestige gap. Um, between you and somebody who's working in an office or whatever, mm-hmm. um, that like that is palpable, and um, you know, it, people don't. There isn't really much discourse about like people's sort of self-image and um, how how they feel about their jobs doing retail, but it it is kind of a bummer because it, it, nobody really respects retail. Mm-hmm. It's because they think it's a job for teenagers. I hear yeah. it from like even like. People who, like, I think politically, like, they know better. Like, they'll vote for candidates who, you know, want to raise their own wage. They want to help service and retail workers, that right. kind of thing. But then, you know, like, when they encounter someone in their own life who's, like, maybe still at a place. I just heard this the other day um, from that, that they know and, like, they're still at this place. Um, and they're just, they always, they'll, they come to me and they're like, oh, like, did you know so-and-so is still there? Like, oh, what is he doing? What is he doing? Is, it, is that all he's going to be doing? I'm right. like, I don't know. yeah, yeah. You know, I'm like, why? Who cares? Why are you coming to me about that? You know, like, it felt weird. Like, I, and the thing is, and it just confirms, like, if you're in that position, you know, if if I'm ever the one in that position, it just confirms like what you're thinking in your head when you see someone you know. Yeah. It's like, oh, they'll be cool about it in person, but they're gonna go home and like, yeah, talk to people. Like, wow, look at how like lame this dude turned out to be. Right. You know. Right. So it's that to me, like that is that is I at least on my end stopped me sometimes from like immediately diving into back into that world. Um, like when I've, you know, transitioned like careers in the meantime or, or gone so you, back. You've to consciously school. made the choice not to get like a, like a low prestige job. Uh, um, at least for the time being. Yeah. Like to me, like the thing is like for me, like I'm like going back to school, like become a history teacher and what I could do in the mean, there's still a possibility like I could do substitute teaching in the meantime, mm-hmm. but like, I'm like placing a high priority on like making sure I can like either ex- do that or exhaust that option before I like really go and like, I don't know be some like nerd working at GameStop or something you know sure. like sure. or at least that's the perception people have GameStop people are cool as hell alright nobody think I'm insulting that'd be a great job for you yeah it would be I yeah. love game. I love gaming like yeah. everybody knows that but the thing is then it has to mix with school schedules yeah, and yeah. so like as we were saying a lot of these workers especially ones that stay around like they're at, right at the same age level on average uh, that a lot of other fields that are uh, you know normal quote unquote normal uh, are like you find people like in your late 20s are kind of like the prime average age, maybe in your 30s. You say they, when we were talking before, you said what 28 was the average age. Yeah, 28, 29, like and yeah. are like some kind of uh, fluctuate between those two ages, really. Yeah. Um, but that late 20s seems to be like the prime age, not just for these kind of jobs, but then you know we looked up the labor statistics and the 20 to 30, for, like 40 to 45 at, at the highest end are like really where the biggest uh, chunks of the numbers are in like every single field. Uh, so there's not actually a difference uh, age-wise uh, from these jobs and, you know, office tech jobs uh, or the other higher-level service sector type jobs in finance and things like that. Um, and I think that's something a lot of people don't know. And it's something that's again and again just, I think, willingly gets ignored by people to sort of stop this collective demand. They've created this almost perfect system of precarity, of, incons- of inconsistent work, uh, well, still kind of, it's basically, it all just comes from labor surplus, basically. Yeah. You just have this pool of people who are just always need uh, something to do. They always need some way to make money, and they're going to fill those gaps. And as long as they keep moving around, um, they're not ever going to make demands. Yeah. Um, or they're going to be divided amongst themselves, even if they do stick around among kind of like the deserving and undeserving, right? right. Like. Like, oh, like this person's getting uh, food stamps on the side. Like, I think a lot of people by now have heard about how a lot of Walmart workers have to have food stamps. Mm-hmm. Um, you have 25% of one of the stats we found was like 25% of part-time workers live in poverty. Yeah. Um, and also minimum wage workers by and large live in poverty as well um, in pretty big numbers too, especially when you look at bigger cities. Just in terms of, I was looking at the statistics, uh, just in terms of fast food workers, uh, the amount the government has to subsidize wages of fast food workers uh, to the tune of about seven billion dollars a year. It's insane. It's <laughs> absolutely nuts. Yeah. <laughs> like, and and it's the biggest companies in the world. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, a lot of them. You know. Yeah, and the the like the the budgets, for instance, that McDonald's puts out, they're insane. Like they they assume two family 
or two parent households. They assume that you don't need childcare or gas or anything. Uh, so that that's how they justify paying, paying their pittance because mm-hmm. the, the assumptions they have of you demographically, uh, make up for all that stuff. In reality, it's the government that's just paying out. And I think, yeah, like people might conflate like what we're saying with like, because part time and service and retail are always the same thing, right? Like a lot of these guys, like a lot of these people are, are full time and it, it is kind of a career for them, or at least maybe they're just full time while they're in school. Um, but what's been happening since the recession is normally when there's like a recovery, um, part time jobs like kind of spike at the height of a recession or economic downturn. And then they slowly come back down to like, you know, decent levels. Um, but what's been happening is it's been kind of stuck for like the last few years. It's been stuck at around uh, like 27 million and it hasn't been going down as fast as it was. And, um, some, and some might say like, oh, well, actually the share of the workforce is the same part. It's part time that, than it was, you know, 40 years ago. Well, it's like, well, most of them are 54% are involuntary part time. Um, that's from like a Harvard Princeton joint study, um, that I found, um, retail and leisure, especially are majority involuntary part-time so you have people who are in these industries that are again and i think leisure is especially interesting because that's the field um that is kind of whenever there's like a development especially here in rochester Mm. whenever there's a development a lot of the jobs that they are like touting and retail as well a lot of jobs that they are touting that this will create are those kind of jobs right um best case scenario right um so like when there's like a casino and there's like a new hotel or some some dev- or some joint thing like that or a mixed mixed use space as they yeah. call it which I, I just hate that word for some reason i don't know it makes sense but I, it just gets overused um but those are the kind of jobs that i like keep getting dangled in front of people yeah. and it's like well is there something kind of dystopian about that too because it's like the <laughs> The governments are being goaded into paying a bunch of money for developments, and it just goes to the the, the thing the things that we're all supposed to be getting out of it as citizens is that like working and working poor people get the opportunity to just like serve the rich and to like help them have fun. Yeah, <laughs> is that kind of a drag? Yeah, it's like the nice uh, like store and like restaurant. It's like in the first floor of their apartment com- <laughs> their fancy apartment complex. It's like oh, let me go downstairs and have the poor's right. serve me my food, my <laughs> omelet this morning. <laughs> you know, I'm going to shamble down in my bathrobe while I'm like, you know, super high and yeah. just go to this restaurant. I'm going to eat half of a $50 bagel <laughs> yeah. and then I'm going to spit on the rest of it. Yeah. I can't have it. <laughs> and, and that same uh, Harvard Princeton one, actually, I think the most jarring statistic, and we found this when we were first uh, like kind of prepping for this episode, was during the Obama years, um, 90% of the jobs created are part-time jobs. Yeah. Um, they still count, and that's something to keep in mind. They still count in the statistics uh, every month when, when as far as job creation, right? It's just mm-hmm. a new job that was someone's working that was not there before. Right. Um, it doesn't take into account um, how many hours this per- or if someone wants to be in that position. Right. Really, right. Um, you have to dig deeper for the. It's up to individual studies like that to actually reveal that number, right. and that just shows like, is that a recovery? You know, and it's and I think that's one of the more depressing statistics you can find about the economy. Um, I think even as like a skeptical, skeptical socialist like us would look at the Obama years and be like, okay, it really wasn't it could have been worse. It wasn't that bad, I guess. But then a stat like that really hits it home. Like, wow, like this has just got rapidly worse. Yeah. And the, the fact that like we personally aren't living in some kind of Hooverville. I know, right? Uh, like shouldn't be mistaken. For I'm the like, fact where are these people? Yeah. Like... Sh- shouldn't be mistaken for, for the idea that like this recovery meant anything. Yeah. Um, I mean, at this point, the, the, the average income of someone with and without uh, college education is, a, is as big a gap as it's ever been ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it and reflects it, the way they vote too. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, I mean, and not having a college education, it like, automatically diverts you to, into the service sector and mm-hmm. for for many of the people i know anyway that means that means retail or um or like you know fast food or something like that yeah which again are like the least unionized the yes. least represented and and i think one thing we can get to in our next segment is like how big these jobs are as far as like how much of a share they are in the economy and the companies themselves and how prevalent they are in employing in huge uh regions of people basically being the yeah. biggest employer across the many many states and across entire regions of the country so it's uh it's pretty pretty disastrous stuff from what we found all right on that cherry note we're gonna <laughs> take a break and it'll back. get better you're listening to punching out thanks this is punching out a project of the punching out collective and we want to hear about the struggles you face as a worker 
You can tell us your stories by sending an email to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and we're on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. All right, welcome back to Punching Out. Uh, this is Ariel here with... I'm Chris. And we are talking about entry-level work, or so-called entry-level work, and uh, the extent to which that it is becoming the new working class, the new norm for the working class. And, it, and I think, as people kind of think of it as like a, like a future thing, kind of like, oh, like that's that's like a dystopian future. Like, well, it's happening right now. Yeah. Um, we when we were looking up stuff about this, we found like there's like this big map of the United States. I think it was I think it's from 2015, but I am very very positive because it holds true. It was. Um, even now in 2018, and it showed state by state, like the top employer um, and all of them. And in 22 of these states, by far, like across, like mostly the Southwest, upper Midwest, where, especially upper Midwest, where uh, if you recall was where a lot of factory manufacturing jobs were, especially in smaller towns in those regions, yeah. um, are now being taken over by this large retail chain. Um, you probably know what we're talking about. Um, it's a, it's owned by one of the wealthiest families in the country. Yes. And, and, and they are kind of, have always been known, especially like since the 1980s for not paying their workers much. They're kind of, there was kind of like that meme that went around like a donation box for the employees of this place. Um, say, Hey, like help our workers survive, like for the holidays or something like that. <laughs> you know, like it didn't like, it wasn't word for word, but it was like, like accepting donations, you know, for their work. Like it was so bizarre and it, like it's it's almost like beyond comprehension like how you can like put that there and like that nothing's wrong with it um but that's but these are the places that really run our economy i mean an entire huge huge stretches of the country um not only are these some of the few places to work um these are some of the few places to shop right um this is where you just this is where you buy like almost anything that, that's not a car essentially or a yeah. house um, it's where you get all your food from, and the, you rely on the distribution networks that they themselves uh, also uh, employ part-time, super low-wage work. Um, so it's it all like feeds itself in a way that seems almost unbreakable. It's kind of a it's kind of like a company store situation. It's like we're back yeah. we're back to the the 1910s or whatever, where like you just you you work for a script and then you re- redeem the script at at the same place the same place because there's nowhere else to go like a store a store that's like staffed or owned and staffed by this by the by the employer who basically built your town yeah right and like everything that you do just sort of feeds back into the into the local economy that's run by this one concern yeah uh it's kind of weirdly futile it makes it harder to like organize around too because it's going to be you're going to get an intense lobbying if a town ever wants to like you don't see this a lot, like in towns, more more in cities, but not so much in like towns and exurbs and, and little villages and stuff. But let's say if they wanted to raise the minimum wage in their township, and this store is the one place there that's like employing so many people, they're gonna fight hard against it. And who's gonna win, this small town or this super national, right. uh, wealthiest, one of the, maybe the wealthiest company? Yeah. So I this don't know. the super nat- the super national uh, corporation really just has to say one thing. Okay, we'll move. Yeah. Right. We're gonna close. It. We're gonna close our store. Literally gut your entire economy because mm-hmm. we've we've essentially forced out all of the other all of the other small independent uh, like retail places, yeah. uh, and and just taken the entire mar- market share, and now we're like a huge part of the tax base when we do pay taxes. Um, so so yeah, I mean, we go. This town goes. And they'll make a show of like kind of like rewarding. Uh, policy that favors them. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, there's been this trend lately, especially with that huge, uh, monstrous tax cut uh, that passed back in December. Um, like all of these uh, stores nationwide, like retail places, um, even some like more white collar places as well, have like made like a PR like show of like telling everybody that they're giving their workers like a thousand dollar bonus, yeah. um, that they're raising they're raising their wage like a whole dollar an hour. Um, and by the way, those wages I cited, the 1338 full-time, 1058 part-time um, at, at this one particular store, um, that's like after the fact. Like this is after – because I, I got that from an article that was talking about that Walmart or this store's wages. Um, so that's still like just in the after effect. And one thing that has – on a positive note, one thing that has kind of applied pressure, and I think 
last month there was this huge uh, wage growth, uh, relatively huge. It was like the 2.9 percent. It was the largest in like eight or nine years. Um, the majority, like billions of dollars worth of that, were simply due to the state by state minimum wage increases. Yeah. I think like 18 states at the start of this year, uh, as of January, increased their minimum wage. Right. So I think in a, I think in some of the some of the more spectacular cases of the thing you were just talking about, where the company the company is giving this like uh, high profile bonus mm-hmm. and like you know a dollar extra dollar an hour, like that's what that was. It was it was like the minimum wage increase. Just uh, they were just acting on it. Yeah. Uh, but they were claiming that it was a part of their own initiative because of the, the incentive given by this future tax tax break. Right. Because in a lot of the states they operate, especially the ones that. Uh, where they employ the most people. These are states that have, you know, still successfully resisted these minimum wage increases, a lot of red states. Um, but because they operate everywhere, you know, they have to, if one state does it, they're all of a sudden, they're like, all right, let's just make a company wide at right. this point, you know? So that's kind of what that was. And so to a, a local person in a red state that doesn't have, that's still sticking with the very low federal minimum wage, it might look like that Walmart's being really nice. Yeah. But what, a lot of times I don't think is linked enough in a lot of these stories is, you know, on the other hand, um, big companies like that might have another branch or another uh, franchise of stores that they have, and they will close a whole bunch of them. Um, There's several companies that um, made a big PR show about raises Mm -hmm. and then shuttered like thousands of jobs. Um, Some factories even have been doing that. And the way that they did this is pretty smart, right? So they they sent out press releases about the bonuses that they give Mm -hmm. and also the you know, the dollar, dollar raise hype, uh, dollar raises. Uh, and then like maybe the next day or something, they just sort of quietly shutter, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like 300, 400, uh, locations. They do it like piecemeal too. Yeah. Um, uh, sometimes in some cases not. Um, I mean, there's been a couple closures here just in the last few months, really, uh, but pretty of uh, places people, you know, you think people love and are kind of iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, but they just shuttered entirely, right? Like maybe there was, like, I think there was like a three or four weeks notice at most. Right. Um, but they just stopped. So like, and a lot of times they're not even really doing the kind of residual layoffs that maybe a lot of uh, other, like more white collar corporations have been doing. Right. Um, but I think it's it's worth breaking down too, like who the, this kind of thing affects. Besides the fact that there's entire regions that rely on these kinds of employers. Um, one thing that really, and again, it wasn't like totally surprising, just you know, knowing how our society works. Um, but of like the 27 million uh, part-time workers, 17 and a half million of them are women, um, which is almost twice of the 9.8 million men, according to last month's or December 2017's uh, labor statistics. Um, so this is over, like mostly, like when you try and put like a face on like working class, a lot of what happened, or, or entry level work, yeah. um, besides the fact that people kind of uh, try and make, turn like, infantilize them and make it seem like it's all high schoolers it's people of color and it's women yeah um like that is by and large like the lowest end of the working class in america so when you when you see these layoffs you see you hear stories about these low wages of you know fight for 15 by and large like that's who this is yeah it's african-american moms yeah exactly and it's people a a lot of times if you're if you're someone who's like in and out of prison like that's the only job you can get Mm -hmm. maybe if that maybe yeah and even then like maybe you're probably not going to rise through the ranks um so it's worth kind of putting a face on that and i think retail just the retail alone is uh i think spend the spending in that sector is like two-thirds of our entire economy i mean it's true like that's where everybody does their consumption uh, by and large like their consumption is in retail uh you know grocery stores um food service is like, you know, right behind. I mean, so when you, when you see those numbers, like, Oh, like consumption, like people just buying stuff in itself is that much of a big chunk of our economy. Like it's mostly in the retail sector. Like it's, it's all there. And the people that are doing those services are constantly under pressure. They're constantly moving around and they have no way of organizing themselves. Right. Right. Um, but it's, it's not all bad news. And you, and you would think with such an, such a large chunk of the share of, uh, national you know, like revenue, yeah. uh, they could afford to treat their workers better. Right? Yeah, of course they won't. They uh, don't have to because they don't have to. Yeah, there's they're no not, there's no pressure from nobody's, below. Nobody's forcing them. Yeah, 
Uh, it's changing a little bit um, yeah. on like the top end. Even the f- even the fact the fact of the fight for fifteen campaign, I think, mm-hmm. is a kind of an astounding thing because I think it's a it's it's a the thin of thin end of the wedge of reconsidering what it means to have uh, you know fast food or uh, service work. It's it's considering it basically what it, what it is doing is consi- it's asking people to consider it as proletarian work. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a lark. It's not something for teens. This is this is actually how people make their living. So we should consider the ethics of how we compensate and take care of those workers because those are they're simply workers. They're not anything. They're not anything less than that. They're not. This is not a. This is not a temporary thing for those people. And it's just it's. I mean, it's almost uh, it's kind of amazing, like how much of those stereotypes have stuck considering like how like easily disproved yeah. so many of them are with like readily available, like clear statistics, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is a kind of issue where it's not very hard because because of things like, you know, the Department of Labor uh, at the federal and state level, mm-hmm. um, they just it's all just raw numbers. And you can easily just show and tell people like, look, like this is who workers are. Like they're not kids, right? Like they're, they're adults now. They're adults now more than ever. And more, th- and also as much, if not more than ever, they're involuntarily part-time. Right. Um, something that's not really kept track of unless you do your own independent study of it. It's right. not something that's counted um, in the, the overall like health picture of the economy. Um, so I think when you, when you look at numbers where you, you have women and people of color who are overwhelmingly taking these jobs, it also makes it makes you realize like why it's been so hard to change this yeah. because those are groups that are over and over again throughout our entire history, not just through labor, but also through uh, like loan discrimination, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. Also through the way our criminal justice system yeah, works. Incarceration, sure. Yeah, mass incarceration. Um, we, we just make it very, very hard for that group and those groups in particular to actually rise up besides yeah. the fact that they're being paid in like beans and leaves <laughs> right so like that's that to me it's like that's why they're winning is because of that yeah it's because of who they've chosen to oppress we should be yeah if if people we should have as much of an ethical commitment to the well-being of these workers and reasonable standards for these workers as we are for, for somebody that works in like a metal factory yeah because uh, again these are these are the workers now um and people get like so it's always interesting to me and like this isn't like this is just my own personal insight like people's kind of tenor kind of changes certain people when they talk about this issue right like people feel uh so like under threat or or some people do when when you talk about this issue and they're in a job that's like you know fairly comfortable like this is like i I mentioned our media episode this is one of those topics um in the we in the newsroom where we talk about it and like all of a sudden you'll actually like start hearing some of the older workers opinions like randomly, you know, like all of a sudden, you know, sometimes you're usually pretty good about just like, you know, they do the story and you don't really hear their opinions on it. But like, this is one of those issues where like there's some part of them that feels under attack. And I think a lot of it's because not just in even professional jobs are people not paid a living wage, but I think a lot of people subconsciously understand that like, the vast like just stretches of work, all the masses of workers out there, like that's how they live. Yeah. Um, and it, I think there there was a there was a an intentional push in the last twenty years or so of cultivating something which you kind of mentioned before, called negative solidarity. Mm-hmm. Right. So like the the idea that you can count you can counteract work workers' sympathy with other workers who are maybe trying to unionize or something like that by by framing the issue as one where the the person who's doing what you think is like less skilled or less meaningful work like they don't deserve to get what you have because they don't work as hard as you mm-hmm. or or you consider yourself to have a tough job and you don't want you they want it they want you to feel like you don't you don't belong in the same plane as those people so there, there's there's been i think a like a, a genuine push to actually get people to think of workers who are who are under them as just le- as simply less deserving and to take it personally I think I think that's like sort of the key part of it, um, like just to take some take some pleasure in the fact that these people have it worse than you. I know. <laughs> uh, which is, I mean, it's kind of like it's it's a very similar it's a very similar dynamic to the 
the illusory benefits of white supremacy. Yeah. Right. So like it's it's a little. It's like what like LBJ said about like Jim Crow, right? Yeah. Like yeah. why it works. Yeah. Right? You can like treat like the white people terribly and they'll be poor, but like as long as they have somebody to take it out on. Right. The black people are like in schools that are just like in ruins. Yeah. You know, like that was how it was, right. and they can't vote. And so it's like, well, like I'm I'm in a good place. Yeah. Like you know, I'm I'm the one who hasn't made like, and it's like we mentioned, you know, going back to someone who is a veteran at a restaurant or just chose to stick it out mm -hmm. and all of a sudden like they have it relatively good compared to you know they get the kind of preference for hours right. they get the benefit of the doubt from the boss you yeah. know like they maybe not cut corners but the boss they, they, you have a level of trust mm -hmm. to where like someone's not always looking over your shoulder um and then, like those are the kinds of things that kind of trick you into thinking like you're more um you might be more valued yep. uh, by your bosses than you really are. Yeah. And you'll think that up until the day that you show up for work when there's a sign on the yeah, door. Yeah, it's saying, just plastered we're, we're right closed. there, yeah. Sorry. Like 40, like it was like like 30-something years at Pizza Hut, this lady. I'm like, oh, my God, that's so <laughs> horrible. And that reminds me of um, this, I think it was a Tumblr post, but it was an article, too. Um, this guy wrote about how, like in detail, too, about how he worked at uh, Barnes & Noble for uh, 20 years. Um I'll restart that. Yep. He worked at like this big national bookstore chain uh, for 20 years. Uh, he had, you know, he valued it a lot. Like he kind of understood uh, that, you know, he doesn't make much money. Um, but he he met his wife there when he first started there when he was a younger person. Um, they had five, they got married, and had five kids together. You know, like they had like a decent, stable life. Um, and he had like this uh, story time thing. Right? Even though this was like a national uh, chain that individual store had like the story time thing he would do where he would like dress up like a pirate or some kid's character and it was really popular every every week or every month and kids would come to it and parents would know about it and bring their kids. So he was like a really valued member of this store, of this particular store. And without notice one day, like there's just this nationally, they just lay off like thousands of people. Um, and it was, he like feels like actually like really sad. Like a lot of times like, if someone lose that job and it wasn't something that they kind of value anyways, like, all right, look, I'll just on to the next one. Whereas this is like, he chose to actually be loyal to this company. Yeah. Like he was actually thankful to them for like allowing, like, you know, he, he felt like he owed it to them because he like basically made his family through there. Yeah. Um, but that, that he still he said he met, he met his wife and he had five kids while he was working there. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, he didn't say whether she went on, like she probably went on to like something else and maybe making more money than him. Mm -hmm. But regardless, they're able to support a family. Um, and that still just happened. And throughout the article and after that, it kind of goes into how um, places, this particular chain, but also places in general, just started expanding the amount of workers who are working part time, even when it's hurting, the, uh, even when it's hurting their own service. Because this yeah. store during December, which everyone knows, Christmas time, uh, people are buying stuff. Um, they people would come in, and because they kept cutting hours so much. There wouldn't be enough people uh, like in shipping yeah. to actually bring the books in and make sure that like, you know, and take stock of the inventory. So people would be coming in and they would just be like, like, oh, do you have this book? We're like, no, we don't. We're like, we still don't have it yet. Well, they would check. So so the people would come in expecting that the, the books would be there because they'd, you know, check online or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And and since since the shipping had actually been it had made it to the store itself. Mm -hmm. All the stuff was in the system. Yeah. So they'd look and they were like, oh, I want that new like. Technically, it's there. It's there. Yeah, it's under can, 400 boxes, he said. Yeah. Can you give it to me? <laughs> yeah. And they'd be like, no, yeah. we cannot give it to you. And right. And the guy, like, not that this guy knows it for a fact, you'd say like, look, they would just go home and buy it on Amazon. Yeah. And that's it. You know, and, yeah. and so then this company in turn would be like, look, our sales have been taking a hit. We got to right. cut staff. Right. And again, the reason people are like, oh, well, there must be a reason why they cut hours during, um during Christmas time of all like, you know, and this was one of the bigger Christmas shopping seasons in years. Mm. Um, and the reason why is because again, like the priorities are on the shareholders or on the stocks. Yeah. And they and, want, they needed to have a lot of cash on hand. Yes. Cash on hand is like one of the bigger, maybe like arguably like the main reason why uh, part-time work has become so um, aggravatingly normal yeah. uh, for a lot of workers um, to the point, like, and honestly, like if you're listening, like, you don't even need uh, like me or, or Ariel to like tell you this. Like, you just have friends and people who just talk about like, oh, I cut my hours at work. Like, right. I have a friend who like all like the restaurant he works at. All of a sudden, like he's just for like a whole month, he was working like two shifts a week, yeah. and he just like couldn't pay my other friend like the rent. Yeah. You know, like it, it's really bad. Yeah. 
Um, but that's why, and this wasn't even a corporate place either. This sure. is, this was a, a local restaurant, yeah. but the priorities of, of finance overtaking, uh, the actual like individual well being, and, and you can go and go in all day. And, and it's, uh, it's like just, and the thing that's sort of galling about this is that this, this catastrophic thing happened to just hundreds of people. Um, thousands as, in this case. Yeah. Thousands in this case. And all, all resulting from the corporate structure wanting to make the balance sheet look good for the particular quarter they were in mm-hmm. right like they they just needed to have a they needed to have more cash than they than they did at the time they needed to look like they had more cash than they did at the time so they just eliminated all these part-time positions uh just for the short term short-term appearance of of looking fin- fiscally health- healthier than they actually did and this results in actually hurting sales and then they ended up sh- they end up shuttering the place because of the decision they made just to appear to, to have more cash. Yeah. Like it's just, it's mind bogglingly uh, corrupt um, and incredibly greedy. But of course, these are the imperatives of the system, this, the stockholder system um, where, you know, they have to make reports every quarter and they want the stocks to be healthy. So they're going to have, they're going to have to follow the kind of logic of that. So they did their jobs right. The sh- the 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 board, the people There's making the decisions. There's a whole industry. Like yeah. you mentioned, the guy they brought in um, to to run things like, oh, right, just yeah. a few months before that. And this is a guy who, kind of like uh, like you know someone like like Mitt Romney, 2012 election. Like yeah. his his work got rightly criticized a lot um, for in what he did in his career. But it was the same kind of guy. Well, like this whole industry of people whose whole job is to like deconstruct and extract wealth from companies yeah. and get rid of workers and throw away the shells when you're finished. Yeah. yeah. Like this, the, like I think he had like a, a I don't think it was like $4.6 uh, million dollar buyout or something like that. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. It was a long, he was there for a year. Yeah. He had like a buyout from like the previous company and, and that also happened at, at one of the stations I worked at where mm-hmm. um, they, they were owned by a larger uh, company uh, like a cable internet company and they were selling to a actually selling to a smaller cable internet company that wasn't in this region of the country and it turns out like oh like the guy at the top of this company like he gets a huge like millions of dollars bonus for right. selling the company sure basically for failing yeah. right like essentially and so there it's there's not even much of an we talk about how like oh like the workers are like they're displaced they're they're precarious and they're, they're part of you know it hurts service and all that stuff. But also what happens is on the top end, they are also not having uh, a very permanent view no. of, of these businesses. Um, it's not, you know, obviously clearly not worker centric. And that also has an impact. Like you're not going to make changes to your workers' lives that are better. No. Um, you're not going to like improve things for them or, or especially as our economy continues to monopolize in so many sectors, like you're not going to have much of a reason um, to improve a lot of those things. Yeah, and it's a it's a CEO's fiduciary duty at this point to yeah. to follow the logic of the court like the quarter system and make sure you have as much cash on hand as you can so that the stocks are healthy. It's like that's actually doing his job. It's it's illegal for him to to do the other thing, right? The mm-hmm. thing we're talking about, which is to worry about the the actual people doing the work. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems a little perverse. Uh, I. I would like a society that's structured differently. <laughs> that does not have, yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, and I, that's something I didn't actually think about until just now. Like a lot of these CEO, like they have basically just resumes of like doing, like these are not like people here of CEOs and sometimes, especially the more famous ones are guys who are just like at one company or even founded one yeah. company, especially like in some tech circles. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times it's just like this rotating door of like these right. people who, Maybe you're at a slightly lower position in another company, or they did the same thing somewhere else, yeah. and they're just coming to do it there. Mm-hmm. And that, and that is also, it's like just as much a revolving door as it is uh, for the workers below them. Except, um, except, except they get more to, money. Right? They get to choose. Yeah. When they when they go through that door, and it's workers all have power. no control over it. But there's been, I mean, some pushback. Obviously, like we, you know, talked about like fight for fifteen and how big of a role they played, and you know, state by state, there's been although too small of increases by and large and too gradual, they are happening and they're at the point now where they're affecting the national uh, wage increases that are coming up in the unemployment report and stuff. And so that's pretty good. Like that was like a very positive thing that came out of that. Uh, Like New York state is had a rule. I think it was an executive order by uh, the governor. Um, You can't schedule workers without two weeks notice now. Right. And then they had some kind of like, you know, any reasonable policy is going to have controversy like on the internet with comments like yeah, right. but it's like ultimately it was one where like 
the uh, it was muted it was a muted criticism of it because i think everybody know like so many people have been there yeah you know even if you're someone who's kind of well off now yeah. like you probably had this entry level job right. at some point in your life where you kind of know what it's like to just get mm. pulled around and kind of like just you know yanked in one direction and this kind of like the insecurity of it yeah. um even if, even if your life even if your life wasn't depending on it at any point even if you were never uh, depending on it those jobs that take care of a kid. Yeah. Um, so I think, and, and that's, a, that's obviously not a final solution, but it's one where, you know, it, it's a start. Well, it's um, a, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly a start. Like uh, there's, those are absolutely good things. And I think it's sort of pointing to the change in uh, public consciousness about what these work, what, what this work actually is. Um, like the person, the person who's like well off now, maybe had the entry level job before, like, that is a similar situation to what I was talking about with me where like when I think about the work that I did, I don't know how I live that way. Yeah. Right. Like imagine like, you know, being, you know, a couple, like a decade removed from any of these kinds of jobs. And then it, it, somebody brings it to your, to your mind that there are some people in the world who have no control over what their work week looks like. I know. And just the, the thought of that is to me, is to me shocking, just sort of, uh, kind of in an instinctual level. Like, even at my full-time job, you know, like mm-hmm. in, in media, I would still get that. Even people who knew I worked in that, like they would never like fail to be amazed mm-hmm. at, you know, I, I was fortunate to where like after a while I had pretty consistent scout. It was, it was like a bad, but consistent. Right. Uh, but every now and then I'd have to take a week for somebody and I'm working at, you know, three thirty in the morning and you know, this, right. but that's nothing compared to the constant, um, the insecurity of, what a lot of these like fast food places have what retail right. places have so i mean you, like you hear all this and it's like okay it's pretty dire i mean yes there are some um good small changes being made uh at the state level uh, some at local levels and in, in bigger cities with with minimum wages um but i think it, it is it's it's a huge problem but i think on an individual level i think being conscious of this and uh, of your role as a worker especially even especially when you're in these kind of jobs yeah um is helpful enough in its own right, but also just how to like slowly like talk to fellow workers about it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean like just throwing mm-hmm. out like all of this, like wage theft, like <laughs> jargon at them and being like soup sounding ideological, yeah. um, it, as good as it is. Yeah. Um, it's really just about like reframing the discussions that you already are probably having yeah. with people. Um, one thing I do is like, or one thing I have done, I've, I've tried to do is, Sometimes, like, people who are also in a bad situation, um, like we said, will point to other people who are, like, maybe using government benefits, uh, especially, like, food stamps, the big one. Yeah. And they will point to them as, like, people who are stealing. And I and I always kind of go, like, well, like, think about your job. Like, you tell me all the time, like, about how you're getting screwed around at your schedule. You're not making enough. Like, you're, like, your boss is the one. Like, they're taking more from you than any of the, like these random poor people who you don't know who actually like aren't really wasting any money, by the way, yeah. um, than what they're doing. You know, it's just like constantly shifting the attention away because we're so trained to like when there's, when everyone can agree with like the, that there are massive problems in our society. Yeah. It's just about uh, who you point it to. Yeah. We need to insist on the humanity of retail workers. Insist on the humanity, but also point the aggression uh, upwards instead of downwards. Yeah. Um, and that's, and that's something that's just done through, you know, careful conversation. Mm. Um, and it's through maybe if someone's talking to you about like, maybe asking about getting a race, encourage them to, you know, like, yeah. especially and one thing I always try to be sensitive of, um, I try and not be too aggressive when it's like, like a woman has told me that. And I try cause I, I try to be aware of the fact that it's much harder yeah. for a woman to ask for a race. Yeah. Um, just, it's just the way it is and it's, and it sucks and it's bad. So, you know, I, try to be encouraging that and i try and tell me like look i've tried that like it doesn't always work um but you have to you know make yourself you know as useful as you can without degrading yourself but also have some sort of way to have leverage you know and ultimately i would like a post-work world right yeah i would would like i would like all of these jobs to be automated you can say about any episode of punching (laughs) out though right (laughs) like that's the that's the fully automated luxury communism yeah like that's what it comes down to in like every episode of punching out but like in this and especially in like something that's so universal as entry-level jobs at least in people's uh past experiences at minimum um i think like that's that's the best way to, to you can engage people on a small level and characterizing these jobs as real jobs. Yeah. They're real jobs that take real effort and they do not treat the people who do them properly and yeah. uh, with f- the full amount of dignity that they deserve.
So yeah, so I would say uh, try not to use the word entry level. Uh, that's kind of like one of the morals. These uh, are just jobs. Yeah, these are. It's these like are that's that's my job, right? Like entry level. Like right. to me, like I, I've, I've hesitated to use that in this episode, uh, but it's it's a good way to kind of frame it because everyone knows what that means, yeah. and it's something that I think everyone knows is not what you ever want to do. Yeah. Um, we should make it embarrassing to beat up on people with these jobs. Yeah. So that's that's what we're, the future we're working towards and. You know, hopefully we can make it happen, and there's been changes along the way. So don't feel too bad. Yeah. We're not too doom and gloom. No. Uh, all right. Well, I think that'll do it for now. All uh, right. I'm, I'm Ariel. All right. Thanks, guys. And this has been Punching Out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.